0: That's the mind of Christ, that submitted mind to God's plan. God's way, not our way. My desire for anything that is not. Thanks for joining us at Hope of Our Calling. Let's get started in our study of 1 Peter. Well, howdy, and welcome back to Hope of Our Calling. We took a short break. We are still on the road, but I figured it was time to jump back in and get started with finishing up on 1 Peter. So far we have looked at in 1 Peter uh, so many amazing things. We have looked at uh, that we're chosen and responsible. We have looked at that we're chosen because we're royal and holy and a peculiar possession. We've looked at the fact that we're to submit because it brings glory and that we're accepted by God. And the last time we were together, we focused on the joy that is set before us. When I named this ministry Hope of Our Calling, it was because I wanted to remind us there is a hope to our calling, that we have been called out and called to be separate. We've been set apart, and we have been blessed by the power of his Holy Spirit. In revelation of Jesus Christ, we now walk in the Spirit, so that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the greatest part is that even if we do sin, His grace, His mercies are new every morning. So today we're going to continue on, and we're going to try to get through the last part of 3 and a good portion of chapter 4. So if you will, turn in your Bibles to First Peter chapter 3. And we are going to actually um, start at verse 18 in chapter 3. All right. So it says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient. When once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is an antitype which now saves us, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, where angels and authorities and powers have been made subject to him. So let's just back up a little bit and and digest some of this. One of the things that we talked about previously was the joy that was set before him, that Christ endured the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before him. This morning, my husband and I were in devotions in Hebrews 11, and it's the the hall of faith, by faith, Sarah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Noah, by faith, Moses, by faith, Joseph and Isaac, by faith, the people crossed through the Red Sea. And as we were discussing what we were studying, the biggest thing that we saw was that it's by faith faith. It's by trusting and believing in the promises of God. And we've said this so many times before in Second Peter, where it says that he's given us great and precious promises that we may be partakers of his divine nature. Not saying that we're going to be mighty like God. No, 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 no. It means that when we believe him, when we trust him, he carries us through, just as he did the patriarchs of our faith, just as he led Abram from the Ur of the Chaldeans into the promised land, just as he told Abram, trust me, I'm going to give you a son, not by your works, which, is, which produced Ishmael, but no, God gave Abraham a son, Isaac. The son of promise, just like God promises to deliver us, to take us and make us lie down in green pastures, to lead us beside still waters. God's not the author of confusion. It's the enemy, the devil, the robber, the stealer, the destroyer, who Christ put down at the cross and through the resurrection. But what we must do is believe. We must believe. And in that process, in that believing and trusting in him, we are being set apart. And baptism is a reference of that. It's an outward expression of an inward faith. And we do this publicly so that we profess the good news or the gospel to a dying world that's walking in the darkness. We don't call ourselves Christian by name only. We are called Christian just as it was in Antioch when they were talking about those who followed Christ. That's a Christian, somebody who follows Christ, even if it is enduring the shame for the joy that was set before us. That's what we spoke about earlier in Peter, how it's better to be treated wrongly for doing good than it is for doing bad. And for being persecuted while doing good, this is acceptable to God, because wasn't our Savior treated that that way? So when at the end of Peter, it talks about that, how the Lord waited with long suffering during the days of Noah. Do you know it took an a hundred years to build that ark? Can you imagine the ridicule that Noah endured? Can you imagine the ridicule and humiliation his family endured? And yet Noah was able to faithfully profess God and the promises of God to his family that they also were saved as they entered into the ark and were sealed the sadness of it, it was only eight souls. The world was so lost in its wickedness and pride and lusts and lust for things of this world. They couldn't relate to what God had appointed Noah to do. And yet Noah, I am sure, beckoned them and beckoned them and beckoned them. And unfortunately, they didn't listen and were lost. God's judgment It's a foreshadowing of not only baptism, because it was eight souls that were saved by the water through the ark, but in baptism, when we relate to Christ, we do the same thing. We commit, we consecrate, we make ourselves one with Christ, and he becomes one with us through his blood and resurrection. And then we demonstrate that through baptism. And that's basically what this is saying here, is that Noah saved the eight people through the flood, just as Jesus will save those who put their trust in him. Remember, the flood is judgment. So the ark is a foreshadowing, and baptism is a foreshadowing of being saved through the judgment. Because it's appointed once for man to die, and then the judgment. And if you haven't committed yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you haven't got to know him, if you haven't put your trust and faith and belief in the God who came from heaven into this vile place where sin was rampant, is rampant, And he allowed himself after testimony and testimony and testimony. Remember, he said, look at the works that I do if you're going to judge me. And then they put him brutally to death. And he raised himself from the grave. And stayed on earth for 40 more days, testifying. And yet the pride of man, the lust of man refused to believe. So it's important that you understand it's how critical it is to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So chapter four, verse one, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men but for the will of God. For if we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, reveries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. Speaking evil of you, they will give an account to him. Who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Okay, (laughs) back up to verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also... With the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers and principalities, rulers of the darkness. We have to remember this. Saints, it is a continual battle. For the things that prick our flesh, the things of this world, while we're still in this world, Satan and his minions, even the lust of your flesh from former days, will continue to fight against the new spirit that God places within you. At the moment of your profession of faith, not just words, but heart faith, God gives you his spirit. And it's that spirit that teaches you the things of God, that illuminates your understanding, because the things of God, the man of carnality cannot understand. So when we walk with the mind of Christ, which means, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, you are my shepherd. You lead me and you guide me. I will not lean on my own understanding. In other words, as Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Because don't we know that God has a plan? Don't we believe that he is working all things to the good for those that love him? and are called according to his purpose. And each believer of heart in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who came and died for our sins and rose again to give us eternal life, we walk in newness of life. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. That's the mind of Christ. That submitted mind to God's plan, God's way, not our way, because God's ways are higher than ours. For he suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin. When we come up against that lust of our flesh, that impulse to do it our way versus God's way, to forget that we're ambassadors of the kingdom of God and allow that lust of the flesh to rise up, no matter what it would look like, whether it would be um, getting angry, being unforgiving, being unmerciful, or just simply being selfish and self-righteous. The conviction of the Holy Spirit within us, that new spirit that God has placed in us, will be busy knocking on your heart. He'll be busy knocking on your heart before you take a step into that sin. And that's what you need to lay hold of. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path, right? Proverbs 3. When we really get that, when we seek in all our ways to acknowledge him, when we seek to love him with all of our heart. All of our mind, all of our strength, all of our soul, that fight becomes easier because He's given us the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to be able to fight against the things of Satan and the lusts of our flesh. In Psalms, it says, I've hidden thy word in my heart so I may not sin against thee. Are you hiding? God's word in your heart, it grieves my heart so much to hear people say, I'm a Christian, and yet they spend no time with Jesus in his word. And I'm grieved because they're setting themselves up to be attacked by Satan, to be used by Satan, because they don't have a shield of faith. They're, what are they putting their faith in? The term Christian or the Christ of Christian. But you gotta know Christ. We have everything we need in order to be victorious. It is simply, and I'm speaking from experience as any mature Christian can, we have those moments where the world consumes us, our devotional life slacks. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves backsliding. We're like, what's going on, Lord? You seem so distant. And He's not the one that moved. It's not a, it's not a command. It, it, it's, it's a holy suggestion that says, if you do this, this will happen. God, in the Old Testament, remember, he said blessings and cursings. We must be careful because if we're absent from God's word, we're absent from a relationship with Christ who wants to lead us. It's critical that we maintain a strong and vibrant devotional life because then we can be guaranteed that God will be with us in every day, in every moment of every day. And then when we acknowledge him, Anything that happens, he's in it with us because we've partnered with him by acknowledging him. So we have to remember that the battle is consistent. It's there. It's a battle between our flesh and our spirit. It will go on until the day that we're in our glorified bodies. But we have all the weaponry. We need to fight it. And verse 3, it says, And we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the wills of the Gentiles. Exactly what I was saying. We've already done all of that. And once we are born again, as John 3 speaks of with Jesus and Nicodemus, you must be born again, which is what baptism is. It is being born again, starting all over with a clean slate. We don't want to do these things anymore. The conviction of the Holy Spirit on us keeps us from lusting after idolatries and 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 drinking parties and drunkenness and lewdness. Even <laughs> I remember as the Lord was cleaning me up, and and I turn on a show that I thought was so innocent, and all of a sudden my eyes were just like ah. I can't watch this. I can't listen to this. I think there's been a couple of times I've actually gotten up and and walked out of movie theaters because I couldn't take what, what, what my eyes were seeing. And I wanted, like Job, to say, I will set no wickedness before my eyes. We have to remember we are born again. And on that day of judgment, as we have pressed in, We've run to win the prize of the high calling. Jesus will step forward and say, Lord, they're one of mine. My blood has washed them clean. And that is the gospel. We're called, we're commissioned by Christ himself to make disciples, which means share the good news and share the Bible with people. Help them come to understand the importance of the devotional life. Unfortunately, unfortunately, there will be people that choose to continue to walk in the darkness of their sin and not the life that God gives us through his spirit. Verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so Peter kind of switches gears just a little bit. We've gotten the exhortation of why we're to clean up our lives, to follow this heart after the Spirit and reject the things of the flesh, because there will be a judgment day. And as we've committed our lives to Christ, he's committed himself to us, and his blood washes us clean, and God has given us his spirit. The exhortation in verse 7 is why? Because the promise is that God is coming back to finish everything, meaning the judgment is coming. The end of all things is at hand. And we have to keep that in our mind at all times. Otherwise, the, the craftiness, the subtleness of the evil one, he'll just draw us away in and lackadaisiness and complacency and let just, oh, I've got so much to do in the world. No, 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 no. You're a child of the kingdom of God now. You're an ambassador of the kingdom of God now. You have a brand new job, a brand new commission on your life. And the things that we do in the flesh to, to tent making as Paul did, or, or to, to provide sustenance for our family, those are our opportunities to share the gospel. And we must seek them every day. Lord, whom do you want me to speak to today? How do you want me to handle this? So, so it best represents you today. And we need to, to just remember that our, our thinking has changed. We have new priorities. And we've got to be serious, and we have to be watchful in our prayers, because again, (laughs) Satan is like a roaring lion prowling around seeking whom he may devour, and he knows exactly how to trip you up. We have to be watchful. We have to be praying without ceasing. And I love this next part, because this is how the kingdom of God works God has given each and every one of us gifts, talons, as the parable said. How are we using those gifts? We're exhorted within this next stretch of passage to use them within the body of Christ. And above all, have fervent love for one another. Every believer has been given this gift. We love him because he first loved us. But it's love that gives us the ability to have grace and to be merciful and to forgive. Have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Satan is delighted when he can divide the body by bitterness, unforgiveness. Pride, it all boils down to. But we're being exhorted to have fervent love for one another, to be hospitable to one without grumbling. God wants joyful givers. Do you not think Jesus was joyful for the joy that was set before him. For the joy that's set before us that when we do things God's way, he shows us great and mighty things we know not. The blessings that abound to us are extravagant. We can't comprehend God's way until we go God's way. So lavish your love on others. Be hospitable. And as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Did you catch that? As good stewards. To whom much is given, much is required. God has given us grace. We need to give grace. God has given us mercy. We need to give mercy. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. And if anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. Okay, let's pause there. Many want to be in the ministry, but their motives are a bit askew. Ministry is serving. Ministry is, is covered in humility, is the willingness to do whatever God asks you to do. It is my deepest desire that as I lead worship or I do a Bible study, that it's God's Spirit doing it and that there would be nothing of me in it. And the blessing of that is I get to be blessed as I hear what God says and what God does. That's the oracles of God. And if anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability that God supplies. Not my way, but God's way, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. If we're one in Christ, if we're his bride, if we are being prepared for that wedding feast, At the conclusion of all of this earthly experience, we are representing our groom. We are committing ourselves to be one with Christ. Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, if Jesus came down today, is there enough evidence in your life to convict you of being a Christian? As I said earlier, it just grieves my heart because I know that there will be many that say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we speak in your name? And he says, depart from me. I knew you not. Be bold this week. When you find a weaker brother or sister in the faith, Ask the Holy Spirit how you can minister to grow their faith, to help them overcome this illusion of what a Christian is, that you might be amazing ambassadors of the kingdom that you are now a citizen of, the kingdom of God. Do it God's way. Utilize the gift Jesus gave us in Gethsemane. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Secure that place of blessing by putting him first, seeking his way first, surrendering and submitting to the joy that is set before you, even enduring the shame of those who don't understand. Jesus has all dominion, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For more information about Kendra Martin and Hope of Our Calling, you can email her at Kendra Martin Ministries at com or visit the website at www.hopeofourcalling.org.